0: Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Today I wanna to talk to you about the journey. Ralph Waldo Emerson was famously quoted for saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey. How many of you have heard that before? It's not the destination, it's the journey. So there's some merit to that statement, but I wanted to challenge it in two small ways right up front. I wonder if Ralph believed in the kingdom of heaven because certainly I think that that destination ultimately will be way better than the journey. I certainly hope so. And then I also wonder if Ralph has ever been on a road trip in a minivan with four children. I'm not sure that he had because I don't think he would have came to the same conclusion. How many of you have been on a road trip with four kids in a minivan? When you get to the destination, you're like, oh my gosh, thank you. I want to talk about Israel's journey and your journey. Your journey and my journey. In the book of Exodus, we know that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we have this huge event where Israel is called out of Egypt And they're experiencing these massive plagues and these miraculous signs and wonders, and they're gearing up to get out of Egypt. And I want to talk about where they went and how they got there. What was the journey of Israel? And I want to see if we can draw some spiritual application to that. All right, fine. I want to see if we can draw some spiritual application from that journey. The journey. How many of you have a study Bible? I love study Bibles because they have really helpful things in them. Uh, And my study Bible has this cool little map, and it shows the journey or the route of the Exodus. So when, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they didn't just randomly go places Yahweh took them certain places and that's what I want to look at today and ask ourselves where is Yahweh taking us and how is he leading us and what can we gain from it spiritually speaking so the first thing I want to share with you here as I look at my notes is the term Egypt what does Egypt mean if you have a study bible or a concordance you can look up words and see what they mean it's pretty cool And um, one of the things that Egypt can, and it's really interesting about Egypt, which in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, is that there are different levels of explanation. So there's different Hebrew words that are rooted, and so it just goes, sort of breaks down. So the first initial definition of Egypt is siege or encampment. Now again, I want to draw a spiritual um, lesson here. So, just think spiritually term, in spiritual terms here. Egypt means uh, siege and encampment. And if you break it down a little bit more into the root of the word, it goes on to say enclosure. And then it goes on to say to bind or confine. Egypt was a prison. Egypt was a prison. The Israelites were held prisoner in Egypt, and Yahweh promises to break them free. How many times in, in church or in services do you hear the term, oh, Yeshua, set me free, or he's breaking the chains, and the, the bondage is broken. And yet sometimes it, it just, like we just say that, and I wonder if there's any real meat to it all. But in Israel's case, there was real meat because they were actually prisoners and they actually got broken free. So then Yahweh takes them. The first place he takes them is this place called Sukkoth. Now, they left Ramses, which is sort of where they were staying. So they left Ramses and went to Sukkot. But um, Ramses didn't have a cool definition, so I skipped over to Sukkot. hope you don't mind. All right. Sukkot means booth or temporary shelter. So Yahweh leads Israel out of captivity, out of slavery, out of this prison, and he brings them into a temporary place, a temporary shelter. It's where the term Sukkot comes from, which is what we celebrate in the seventh month. Temporary. When you always break in your chains, there's a temporary reprieve. A lot of people, especially in Christendom, I've been watching some documentaries about the American gospel and I, I'm realizing that a lot of people, especially in, in church, they have this one-time experience where they feel free And then they've got this sort of temporary time of reprieve. But what I think we'll discover today is that freedom is a journey. There are moments, sure, but a lot of people tend to relapse and get stuck back in the prison. They tend to slip back. The Christian church calls that backsliding. So the next place Yahweh takes Israel after they leave Egypt is a place called Etham. Etham means plowshare. This is where Yahweh delivers the Israelites from the Egyptians a second time. We know the story that Pharaoh was coming up behind them. And Yahweh says, I want you to hang out here, I want you to hang out there, and let's give the Egyptians the idea that we're confused. (laughs) I love that. Yahweh actually plans to move Israel here and there so that strategically it looks to the Egyptians like the Israelites were confused without leadership. How many of you sometimes feel confused, like you have no idea, how am I here, why am I here, how did this happen? Spiritually speaking, I have no idea how I ended up here. Meanwhile, Yahweh is strategically moving, listen, strategically placing us right where he wants us. Why? So he can have a victory. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Because the battle belongs to Yahweh. Did you know that our very existence on the planet is for no other reason than to bring glory to Yahweh's name? It's the reason you're here. Now, sure, there's fun and games along the way and great experiences and family and love and joy and peace and prosperity, but the whole reason that we're called into this thing called the gospel message for the sake of the kingdom is to bring glory to Yahweh's name. It was the very purpose of Yeshua's time here. So Yahweh is bringing them to this place called the plowshare. And he delivers them at the Red Sea. Now I want you to watch next where he takes them. He takes them after the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea, of course. The Israelites are destroyed. We're in chapter 14 now of Exodus, in case you're following along. And then Moses sings this amazing song. It's an entire song that they sang there in chapter 15. And then in verse 2, rather 22 of chapter 15... Moses takes the Israelites through the sea, a huge victory, into a place called Shur. And this word means wall. They hit a wall, this place called Shur. How many of you ever felt like you've hit a wall before? You were going, things were going great, the Red Sea is parting, the sky is open, the angels are singing, the birds are chirping, the grass is green, weather is great, and then bam, you hit a wall. Our journey is just like the Israelites' journey. It's full of ups and downs, rises and falls, mountains and valleys. That's why we sing songs like, In the valley, in the mountain, you know, we're going to praise you. No matter where we're at, we're going to praise you. Why? Why do we sing all that? And sure, they hit a a wall because why? There wasn't any water there. There wasn't any water. The word here in verse 23 is marah. And that means bitter. The water was bitter. Isn't it crazy how Yahweh deals with his children? By the way, this is in a very, very short period of time. They left Egypt at the end, rather at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in our time, and then they start traveling to this place. They don't know where they're going, but Yahweh knows where they're going, and he takes them to from this prison into a temporary holding pattern, and then into this plowshare, where they are delivered again from Egypt, and then he brings them to a place where they find bitter water. They hit a wall. So then, Yahweh tells Moses, "Throw a stick into the uh, the water, and it'll turn sweet." So he does, and the water turns sweet. Now Israel is happy again. And look where he goes next. Are you ready? Verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. And they camped there beside the water. Doesn't that sound nice? Dates. They just came from a place where the water was so gross you couldn't drink it. Now he leads them to a place where there's dates, there's palm trees. Sounds kind of like a beach, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like Hawaii. It wasn't Hawaii, of course, but it sounds like Hawaii. As a matter of fact, the word Elam means palms. sounds like Florida. That's where palm trees are in Florida. How many of you love Florida? I love Florida. So imagine Israelites now are hanging out in Florida. They go from the desert to the sea to bitter water. Now they're hanging out in this place called Palms. In verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. I know it looks like sin in your Bible, but it's pronounced sin. And the word sin means thorny. So they're coming from these beaches with dates and palms, and now they're going to the land of Scene which is thorny. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Sounds like traipsing through Texas woods, is what it sounds like. Briars, thorns, thicket. Now, here, of course, Israel's upset. They grumble to Moses, and so on and so on. But we're going to continue with the journey. Because in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of Yahweh, and camped at Rephidim. The word Rephidim means rest. Are you getting the picture here? Yahweh gets them out of prison. He puts him in temporary holding. then he puts him on this place with a the plowshare, then he brings him to a wall where there's no water. Then from there he brings him to a beach where there's dates and water and everything's wonderful. And then he takes him from there and he puts him in the thorns, and then he takes him from there and he gives him rest. Do you see what Yahweh is doing? Do you see the ebb and flow? What is he doing? He's programming. He's teaching, he's training. He's showing us something. But there was a problem in the place of rest. Just because they were in this place called Rephidim, which means rest, doesn't mean it wasn't without challenges. Because why? There was no water. So they hit a wall with bitter water. Now they're in a place called rest and there is no water. The people were thirsty, and so this is where Moses is instructed to strike the rock. Verse six, and of course, the people drank, and they named that place. Listen to this. This is this is deep. They named that place Massa, which means temptation, and Meribah, which means strife and contention. What we find is that when people come to a place of rest and relaxation, then comes temptation. Then comes strife. When things are up, we tend to forget Yahweh. When things are going great, we start thinking about other gods. We start thinking about other things. Why does Yahweh bring us through the valley? He brings us through the valley so he can show himself on the mountain. He brings us from shame and captivity into freedom. This is our mission statement here at the assembly. It's to know Yahweh, experience healing, discover purpose, to make a difference. Some of us though, myself included, we still struggle with the captivity. We still struggle with Egypt. Look what he says, rather look what happens at Mount Sinai, which is how you say what we often call Mount Sinai. It's pronounced in Hebrew Sinai. What happens here on the mountain? Well, the Jews believe this was the day of Pentecost. Of course, this would have been the first day that Shavuot or Pentecost was ever celebrated, but here is where Yahweh reveals himself to the children of Israel on the mountain of fire. So he brings them on this journey. He gives them ups, he gives them downs. He gives them ups, he gives them downs. He gives them wall, he gives them rest. And then he comes to the place where he delivers to them a contract and Sinai this mountain or this area where the mountain is is called thorn sound familiar so they were in this place of rest and now they're in this place again called thorns we had before the place called scene which is thorn e and now we have Sinai, which is just thorn. It's up and down. It's good and bad. It's for richer or for poor. It's in sickness and in health. This is the way Yahweh is with his people. He's there in the good times and in the bad times. And sometimes we get lost on our journey and we wonder, what, what is Yahweh doing right now? Why am I here? Why, why am I in this situation? What Yahweh wants out of us in this moment is to trust him. It's on the mountain that Yahweh reveals his, his law, his Torah. He shares with us who he is. And there's amazing experiences during this time, and there's terrible experiences during this time. Moses ends up going up there twice to get the commandments, because the first time he came down and they were having a good party, celebrating uh, some probably pagan rituals, drinking and dancing and playing, and Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. Gets really upset, people die, he goes back up, things get better. Sort of like our life. But so oftentimes, people get to, into this place on their journey where Yahweh is giving them this difficult situation, and what they do is they doubt Him. They doubt Him. It's in these moments that we, we sort of think, I don't deserve this, or I shouldn't be here, or why is this happening to me? Struggle, difficulty, difficulty. We have to remember at all times on our journey that Yahweh has given and Yahweh has taken away. Yahweh kills, Yahweh makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, he brings up 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. Job said, shall we indeed accept good from Elohim and not accept adversity? This was right after his wife said, curse Yahweh and die. And Job's response is, Why is it that we're so eager to accept the blessing, but when adversity comes, we want to turn our backs on him? Why is that? Is it reasonable to accept the good and not the adversity? So, why the journey? The disciples went on a similar journey, not quite as severe as the Israelites. Their journey was from Calvary to Pentecost, a little bit different. Full of doubt still, but Yeshua makes appearances to them until the time of Acts chapter 2, when this promised spirit is poured out on the children of Israel. The most significant thing about Pentecost for us is two primary things. 1, we believe this is when Yahweh delivers his Torah. Secondly, we believe this is when Yahweh poured out his holy spirit on the apostles in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is a really big day. It's really it's it's like 4th of July but way better. It's important. It's significant, it's meaningful. In a different sermon, we could talk about how Yahweh gives the law something that we cannot do, and then he provides us with his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do the thing that he gave us that we couldn't do. I mean, how incredible is that? What is our journey all about? Israel's journey was about teaching them to trust Yahweh. I believe our journey is similar, but it's really about conforming us into the image of Yeshua. Yahweh wants you to go from your prisoner state, your chains and bondage, to being like his son, Yeshua, and being conformed to him. In the book of Romans chapter 12, we read this in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to Yahweh, which is your spiritual service of worship. We don't go into the temple on Pentecost anymore with our two loaves of bread. We don't do that Firstly, because we don't have any bread. You can't just take, you know, Sarah Lee into the assembly and start waving it around. This is never going to be acceptable to Yahweh. Maybe y'all don't get that, but in the, in the Feast of Pentecost, you take two loaves and you present them before the priest, and, and then there's this, this offering that's made. We can't just come in here and swing around Sarah Lee. It's not going to work. Number two, there's no temple. So the Israelite priests are not actively doing this right now. So what do we do? What is our spiritual sacrifice? How do we bring an offering to Yahweh? Well, we know that Yahweh says three times you shall appear before me and none of the males shall appear before me empty. So there's that free will offering, we give it in form of money. But what else can we do? Is there anything else? Well, it says right here. What does Yahweh want from us? He wants us. That's what he wants. He wants you to make your life the sacrifice. That's what he wants. Just like Yeshua's life was the sacrifice. One of the hardest things humans will ever do and I mean the, one of the hardest things they'll ever do, is to give up themselves for the sake of the Son. It's hard. I got things I want to do. I've got temptation. I've got, I've got problems. I've got attachments to sin. The parallels between the land of sin... Pronounced seen, being thorny. And the idea that sin is in fact thorny is incredible. I mean, there's just so, and it's English language. I can't even say that it was predicted, but I would hope that it's predictable. Even Paul says, I was given a what of the flesh? A thorn of the flesh that was constantly bothering me. And I prayed three times that Yeshua would take it away. And what is his answer? My grace is sufficient. For you. Even Paul himself is still dealing with the thorns of the land of sin. What can we bring? How can we bring it? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh, present your bodies, your body, as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean that Yahweh wants us to sacrifice our physical bodies on some altar somewhere and we all die, does he? Yahweh doesn't do human sacrifices with the exception, of course, of his son. What does he want then? He wants us to die to self. That's the sacrifice. We have to put to death Our own sinful, earthly, worldly desires. That's the sacrifice. And some of us have a really difficult time raising the knife to kill our own sinful nature. Why? Because it's warm, it's cozy, we like it. It's been with us our whole lives. It brings us pleasure, temporary pleasure, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine, by the way, that Abraham in his old age wanted a a son, him and his wife both, but she was, of course, barren, and so they actually go around the will of Yahweh in the sense that he ends up getting with his wife's um, maid, and they have a child that way. A child, by the way, that Abraham loved very, very much. So much, in fact, <coughs> excuse me, that when Yahweh said, uh, "We're going to make Isaac the prod, the prodigy or the 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 son that's going to carry the promise," Abraham's like, "What about Ishmael? What do you got against him? I really like him. Why can't we Why can't we just be satisfied with him?" And he says, "No." So Yahweh gives Abraham this child of promise. Sarah bears him in in her old age. Now he's got him, and what does Yahweh want from him? Go kill him. Talk about ups and downs, people. Ups and downs. You've waited almost 100 years for a kid. And now Yahweh has given him to you, and What does he want from you? Take the knife and kill that which you love most. I need a sacrifice from you. And Abraham is faithful. And as he's raising the knife, an angel calls out to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, hold up a minute. Yahweh's provided a lamb. Are we willing to sacrifice our bodies? Are we willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to sacrifice our wants and our desires and our fleshly temptations to give it to him and say, I don't need that because you're good enough? Israel is literally at the bottom of the mountain of fire, y'all. It is earthquakes, It is thunder. It is black clouds and smoke and darkness, terrifying. And after a few days of Moses being gone, they're like, he ain't coming back. We should throw a party. The Red Sea has been parted. The Israelites walk on dry land. The Egyptians are enclosed in water. Pharaoh himself dies in their presence. They come to the mountain They see the signs and wonders. That's like us seeing and having an experience with Yahweh where we accept his grace. We say, I want a part of that. We experience the good news of the message of the gospel. We get baptized. And then what do we do? We go have a party. We slip right back where we were. Why? Because... What what most people don't realize is that the gospel message is preached for good news, but there is a response to the gospel that must be accepted. How do we come to Pentecost and bring something? What we do is we present our bodies as a sacrifice. I'm going to lay myself down. That's why we sing the song, I lay me down, I'm not my, I mean, why do we sing all this stuff? We sing it because it means something. It's it's what we're doing. It's our experience. Then he says this, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse two. I'm in Romans chapter 12, verse two, by the way. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battle between good and evil, between sin and righteousness, between holiness and worldly desires is right here. And it's in everybody. Renew your mind, be transformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Why did Yahweh lead them through the wilderness with the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the highs and lows? Why does he do that to us on our journey? It's so that he can transform our minds so that they can be conformed to the image of his son. And then it says, so that you may prove what the will of Yahweh is. So many people want to know, well, what's Yahweh's will for my life? What does he want me to do? You know, this is a big question. Sometimes teenagers struggle with this. I don't know what Yahweh wants me to do with my life. It's a real question. How can I serve him? What can I do for him? But maybe the answer is a little simpler and a little quicker than we thought. Maybe the answer is, let's start with living for him every day let's not think grand. You know, most people are not going to have a Moses experience. Most of us are not Moseses. Most of us are not Davids. Most of us are not Jeremiah's. We're not Matthew's, we're not Mark's. We're just average people. So what how do we play into the grand scheme of Yahweh's big plan? By doing his will by living a life of sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Yahweh, which is, his good, uh, which is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the point of our journey? The point of your journey is so that Yahweh can take you from where you are and bring you to where he wants you to be. The point of the journey is to transform you. But we often resist that transformation because we like things to be simple. We like things to be easy. We like things to be, well, we like to be resting. The goal is spiritual maturity. It's always been about Yeshua and being like him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, Keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which with which you were I'm sorry, which were yours in your ignorance. In prison we didn't know better. But when Yahweh brings us to the mountain and he introduces himself to us and he says, this is what I expect of you, now we have no excuses. And then he goes on in verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Yahweh wants to bring us from ignorance to holiness, from disobedience to obedience. Obedience is the natural response to the gospel, by the way. It's not unnatural. When the people of, in Acts chapter 2 heard Peter's message and he was like, You guys just killed the only begotten Son of Yahweh, that's tough. You know what they said? What should we do? They were convicted. How can I respond to this message? It's about response, our response to him. And that is so that he can conform us to holiness. This life is not without pleasure and joy, but it's not without pain either and sorrow. Our goal is spiritual maturity to come to a place where we don't struggle with the things that we used to struggle with. That we mature, that we grow up in the stature of Yeshua. That's the journey. Sometimes we feel like we're in a rut, just cruising and cruise control. That's not what Yahweh wants for us. He wants us to go up, to get better, to get stronger, to get smarter, to get holier. I want to wrap up here. I have no idea how long I've been up here for. Let's go to to this final thing. How does Yahweh guide us on his journey? In the book of John, chapter 14, Yeshua is talking to his disciples. And he is Explaining to them what he's going to be up to when he leaves the earth. And it talks about him preparing a place for them and going ahead of them. And then he says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, there's a response to him. It's not just, I believe in him and that's it, there's a response. I want to do what pleases you because you saved me. Not, I'm doing what pleases you so you'll save me. It's, I'm doing what you want me to do because you saved me. The first thing Yahweh does is bring Israel out of prison and then gives them the commandments. Does that make sense? He frees them. He saves them and then he gives them the expectation how many of you are thankful that Yahweh saved us while we were yet still sinners hallelujah that he didn't ask us to do a b c and d first and then I'll save you no but at the right time Messiah died for the unholy amen so that in our unholiness he reaches down and pulls us out of the mire and saves us and then says hey There's a better way. Will you follow me? Hallelujah. And then he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth is the spirit of Yahweh. And it leads and guides us every single day and it's constantly working on our behalf. The whole idea of getting baptized and having the elders lay their hands on you is so that the Holy Spirit will come upon you in great power to give you clear direction, gifts and ways to serve Yahweh in the body of Yeshua. And to lead you. For example, we have in the book of, I'm, I'm going to pull a Ferris here because I forgot to write this one down. Yes, 2 Timothy. Yes, verse 16 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. All scripture is inspired by Yahweh and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training. Inspired by Yahweh, how? Through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was communicating to the people writing Scripture. Isaiah, filled with the Holy Spirit. Moses, filled with the Holy Spirit. Aaron, filled with the Holy Spirit. David, filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of Yahweh is the Spirit of truth. They were writing it down. It formed what we call the Bible, and it's profitable to us because it teaches us, it corrects us, and it trains us for righteousness, so that the man of Yahweh may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Spirit of Yahweh continues to work in his people today. The journey is and has always been about following Yeshua. Yeshua leads us. He leads us. Yeshua doesn't push us He compels us. He doesn't push us. He compels us. Through conviction, through reading his word, through understanding, through prayer, he convicts us. He doesn't pull us. He leads us. This is the kind of leadership that Yeshua displays. He's not pushing his people around. You'll do it or else. He compels us. He's not yanking a chain, pulling us. He's leading the way. This is the kind of gentleness Yeshua offers to people. But how many of you know sometimes we need a little push? Sometimes we need a little pull. What do I need for the journey? How can I become like his son? He's given given us everything we need by His Spirit, which He gave to you at the beginning of your journey. Baptism is not the culmination of your journey. It's not the high point of your journey. It's the beginning. When you accept Yeshua and you say, I want to follow Him, more specifically, I want to follow you, that's the beginning. That's not the end. Because there's a journey. And that's sometimes... Where we, where we sort of slide a little bit. Right at the beginning there, we feel good, and then temptation comes. He gives us that spirit, the spirit of Yahweh. So to agree with Ralph, you don't have to worry about the destination. As long as you're following Yeshua, he'll get you there. He knows the way because he is the way. Our journey is about following Yeshua in our daily life. About sacrificing our bodies, sacrificing our wants, our desires to give Yahweh the glory. He is the journey. I'm not sure where you are on your journey Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard about Yeshua. Maybe you've been here your whole life. But wherever you are on your journey, the point of it is to surrender. And if you need to surrender to Yeshua and to His will and to the will of Yahweh, then I ask that you not wait. Don't wait. Make the surrender. Give up yourself and sacrifice your life for the sake of his son. Amen? Let's pray. Yahweh, thank you for, your ti- uh, for this time we have together. Father, thank you for, firstly, thank you for the word of the Torah. Thank you for the law. Thank you for introducing yourself to us. For you said, I am Yahweh, your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Thank you for showing yourself to us in a very real and tangible way. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, your spirit, the spirit of truth that leads and guides us every single day. I pray that as we continue to grow and to mature, that you would lead us in new discovery, lead us into new experience, into new understanding, Father, so that we're not stuck, stifled, and still, but that we can expand our minds to see more of you and to prepare ourselves for the coming of your Son. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this opportunity. In Yeshua's name, we give you thanks. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for your time today. May I bless you.